You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Together, and so uh, if if you're new, if this is your first time, uh, let me just extend a thank you. So glad to have you here um, this morning. We're in a new series. Uh, we're walking through uh, the, the book of John, and so we're basically kind of <clears throat> leading our way up to Easter, and so we kind of jokingly say in the church world, uh, Easter is like Super Bowl, right? It's kind of like everything, you know, just kind of building up uh, for the year, and so um, the Sunday after Easter, you know, we get together as staff, and we're like, what are we going to do next Easter? And so it's just like, it's like on Elf with the Elves uh, as soon as Christmas is over. Anyways, so uh, we're, we're going through the book of John, and, and we're kind of highlighting this idea um, in the book of John, or, or really thinking about what makes the book of John uh, unique compared to uh, the other gospel um, stories. And so what you're going to see when you kind of get into the, the book of John uh, is, is John is really highlighting this idea of belief. And so everything that um, he, he's talking about, he's trying to move his listeners towards belief. And so our, our, the series of our, our um, the sermon, the sermon series actually comes from John 20, 30 through 31, and I'll read it for us. This is kind of the, the verse kind of leading the way for us throughout this series, and this is what John wrote. He said, John, uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. So there's too many. We couldn't possibly write all of these things down. And then verse 31, he says, but these are written, the things that I've given you, John's saying the things that I've given you, these things uh, are written so that, what? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So, so everything that, that John is saying, he's, he's uh, writing it in such a way to help us move towards the belief that life is ultimately about Jesus. That he is the, the Messiah. That this is why he, he's doing these um, signs and wonders that we'll, we'll look at in a moment. But e- even last week, uh, we looked at the wedding feast at, at Cana. Uh, of Galilee, where, where Jesus does his first sign or, or miracle. And what does it say at the very end of that text? It says what? It says that Jesus did these things. And it said Jesus revealed his glory, and the disciples believed. Revealed his glory. I mean, that's a strong word, revealed his glory. And then it says as a result of him revealing his glory, it says that they uh, believed. All right, back to verse 31. It says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John's like, man, I'm writing all of this down to point you in a certain direction. Um, Not not to simply give you kind of intellectual um, information that you can kind of store away, or think about, or ponder on. Not, it's not simply about that. He's like, I, I'm giving this information to you. I'm not just documenting these things for history's sake, although that's really, really important. He's like, I'm giving you this stuff to lead you somewhere, uh, to point you towards something. Uh, we see this, and actually, the way that John calls uh, miracles. He, John actually never uses the word miracles in the Greek. Uh, the Greek word that he uses for miracles is signs. And this is, this is unlike all the other gospel accounts. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and they all use a different word uh, when they're talking about the miracles of Jesus. 
And John, every time that he talks about the miracles of Jesus, instead of miracles, he says signs. So, so if you look at the other, um, the other gospel accounts, uh, Matthew uses this certain Greek word 12 times. Mark uses it 10 times. Luke uses it 15 times. Uh, the, the Greek word for um, miracle, and John uses it zero. Doesn't use it at all. Every time that he talks about a miracle that, do, that, that Jesus performs, he calls it a sign. And, and we said the reason that that's important is because a sign is directing you towards something, right? Um, e- even this past week, so uh, my wife and I took our four-year-old to with this little bakery that's close to our house, and so, um, so which is, you know, problematic um, when it's walkable, uh, but it like cancels out, right? So, um, so we were walking, we, we were walking to the bakery, we got some stuff, and uh, we, you know, a cookie or whatever at 9 a.m., which if we should live a little uh, in life, and so... We got it, and, um, and we're, so we're walking back, uh, and, and we start to notice on the ground there's, like, these green sprouts. Have you seen this? There's, like, and, and then uh, upon, like, closer inspection, we're seeing, like, little purple flowers that are coming up out of the ground. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you've lived in Boston long enough, that's what you're waiting on, right? That's your, like, glory, right? And so what you do, um, it, so we were like, Judson, 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 look, because like this is when you have kids, it immediately makes you like the, the most uncool person in the world. And so you're like, look, buddy, a flower, you know, you're like getting down at like the flower level. Um, and, and so we're, we're showing, we're like, look, you know, uh, whatever. Um, and I was like, do you, you know what that means? And, and he's like, he's four, so he's just kind of staring at me, right? <clears throat> And I was like, and this is not, listen, this is not like a preacher thing that I knew I could work it in later to my sermon, although I'm sure that happens, not with me, I have integrity. Um, but I, I was like, I, uh, I was like, but you know, that means it's, I was like, that means spring is coming, dude. I was like, the, I was like the, the green, you know, like everything's a learning moment if you're a good parent. And so um, I was like, the, this, the sprout is coming out of the ground, it's a, it's a sign that spring is on the horizon. And I was like, oh, it's not. I was like, then I, now I'm going to use it in my sermon, <laughs> but with integrity. Um, and, and I was like, that means, like, that's a sign that spring is coming, that it's on a horizon, thank God, right? That it's coming. And, and so John, writing his gospel account, every time that Jesus does a miracle, he doesn't call it a miracle in the Greek, he calls it a sign. And he's saying the kingdom of God is coming. No, 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 the kingdom of God is here. It's present among you. I'm, I'm breaking the natural order of things. I, I'm taking the closed system, the natural system that we work within, and I'm molding it and shaping it. And I'm turning water into wine. And I'm healing the lame and giving blind their sight back. He says, the kingdom of God is coming. And John says, this is all a sign. It's pointing to something. Something's on the horizon. Something is coming to us. And so this is why John gives us his gospel account. So the, the thing that makes him so unique about him um, is he's saying, I'm, I'm trying to move you towards belief. I want to move you towards alignment uh, with Jesus so that you would see him, uh, so you would see him in clarity, see what he's doing. Uh, okay, um, let, let's dive in. Well, let's think about this. So um, I... I think most people, most um, people in humanity, if I was going to like talk to someone, uh, I think most people are, are seeking to answer the question, how do I, like ultimately how do I be a part of something significant? 
Like, I, I think if you're depressing to people enough, um, I think everyone wants to be a part of something significant. Like, they want to make a change, right? Like, I, I seriously doubt if I sat down with anyone, they would go, <clears throat> I was like, man, just tell, you know, tell me about your life or whatever. No one's going to sit down with me and go, yeah, I'm looking to lead like a lower than average life, right? Like, mediocrity is what I'm going after. Like, that's kind of what I'm, I'm just hoping at the end that, that it's like, I hope on my tombstone it's like, here lays Brian, less than average, right? No one, no one will say like no one's gonna say that, right? Like everyone's like, oh, I want to be, I, I want to be a part of something significant. Like I want to participate in something larger than myself. I, I, I want to. That, that's pr- most certainly probably true in a city like ours. Like I, I, I want to make an an impact. I want to make a difference. I think all of humanity is seeking to answer that question. Is is was that has it? What does it look like to be a part of something significant? If you, if you dig deeper, on, let's think on more of a Christian kind of worldview or, or plain kind of level, uh, and, and maybe you're getting in close proximity to Christianity and, and, and maybe you kind of knew some things about it, but you weren't super familiar with it. Uh, but, but you're kind of getting around it and you're kind of a part of it and you're enjoying the community and, and people aren't as weird as you thought, but like you're, you're kind of like slow, you know, you're kind of slowly working your way into it. <coughs> we get weirder. And, um, but you're, you're just kind of in that spot. Uh, and, th- and then the question kind of becomes like, okay, well, how do I, if life is about living the way of Jesus, about participating in the kingdom of God, well, how do I, how do I be a part of that? Like, how do I get into that? Like, how do I get into that rhythm? Like, what does that, what does that look like? Well, that's the, that, that in so many ways is the exact question that we have in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. But let's, let's go to the text. Let's read it a bit. Rachel read it. Um, but let's, let's read through it, and then we'll kind of chop it up as we go and, and think through this idea of um, what, what does it mean to, be, to become a part of the kingdom of God. Okay, John 3, uh, 1 through 8. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen or on your phone. It says this. There was a man uh, from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one could perform these signs. There it is again. These signs you do unless God were with him. And so Nicodemus is not even, um, he's not even a part of, of life with, with God through Jesus at this point. He says, I'm, I'm seeing something. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. He says, the wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Okay, a uh, couple of things here. So, so um, w- what's happening here is, is Jesus is uh, beginning his ministry, and he's beginning to gain some traction. He's in uh, Galilee and Judea, and so he, he's beginning to get some attraction here, and, and crowds are starting to follow him, and he's doing some of these signs and wonders that are gathering people, and, and now he's gotten the attention of the religious elite, uh, which happens uh, in Jesus' ministry, and, and the, John tells us this guy named Nicodemus is going to uh, come basically have, have a dialogue with Jesus. Now, who is Nicodemus? What do we know about him? Well, we, we know that he's a part of the what you would call the Jewish kind of ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Um, th- there's a couple of things that that kind of tells us. He, that he's an older man. Uh, you wouldn't be a part of this group unless you're an older man. 
Uh, he, he's a man, of course, we, we see that in the text. Uh, he was rich, he had resources, we'll, we'll learn that a little bit later, that he was a man with plenty of resources. Uh, he, he was learned, I mean, he was a teacher of the law, so he was a highly educated um, man. So uh, he's a part of the religious kind of ruling council, um, was a male, older um, teacher, right? He, he basically would ha- have his PhD from like an Ivy League school. That's, that's who he was. This is kind of his pedigree in, in his um, DNA. And now that John tells us he's come to have a conversation with Jesus. And, and what I love, Jesus is so fascinating and consistent and surprising. So I- if you go to John 4, you don't have to turn there, but in, in John 4, Jesus is going to be, he, he has a conversation with who? A Samaritan woman. And she is uh, someone that a Jewish rabbi would, would never have a conversation with. Uh, would be someone that, um, honestly, a Jewish rabbi would see as uh, unclean. Uh, even in her own community, she's coming to the, the scriptures tell us she's coming to the well at midday because she has some shame and guilt about the way that she's living. She's had multiple husbands. She's living with a guy. And, and in John chapter 4, uh, you can go read it later, but he, Jesus has this dialogue with this Samaritan woman who's on the margins. And, and Jesus has this incredible interaction with her. It's, 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 um, it's just amazing. He changes her life. But then in John chapter 3, we have him uh, not with a Samaritan woman, but we have him with the religious elite, the establishment. And, and he's going to be just as consistent and just as surprising as he was in John chapter 4. Okay, a couple of things here that we see. Uh, look at verse... Um, All right, look at verse 2 of John 3. This is what it says. Uh, It says, This man came at night time and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one does these signs uh, unless God were with him. Okay, so the first thing to notice is that Nicodemus comes at where? He comes at night time. Now, most likely, Nicodemus is coming at night because he does not want to be associated with Jesus. See, Jesus during the day, he's got like, crowds all around him. People are kind of pressing in on him, asking him of things. They, they want to hear his teaching. Anytime he's kind of got a, a crowd gathered around, uh, he's teaching. He's, he's kind of doing all these types of things. So he would have had a, a, a really large crowd in the town. Nicodemus has no interest in engaging Jesus in front of all of these types of people. Like he, just, he, just, he, he just doesn't. He's not trying to be associated with Jesus in that way. Now, he most certainly could have gotten an audience easily because of his position and influence um, in the city. Uh, not that Jesus would have prioritized a conversation with him, but he most certainly could have got to him through the crowds. But, it, but John tells us that he does what? That he comes at nighttime. Uh, that Nicodemus is not ready to approach Jesus in the day. He, he's coming at nighttime. Now, the, the other reality, um, and the other thing that John is probably trying to get across to us, um, is that the, the metaphor, there's a, a very strong metaphor in John's gospel of light and darkness. So light represents life with God through Christ, right? Jesus, we saw this in John chapter 1. Jesus is actually going to allude to it later on in John chapter 3. But the, the metaphor basically goes, right, with Jesus comes uh, life in the light. Jesus literally said, I'm the, uh, I'm the, light, like, I'm the light of the world, right? This is what he says. He, he's going to refer to it um, later on. John 1 says, uh, that, that he was, the, the light and the darkness had not overcome him, right? This is the metaphor. And, and then darkness represents what? It represents sin, rebellion, and evil. And, and so John, again, he's writing everything on it with purpose, 
and with intention. And so he's trying to help us kind of get this picture uh, in, our, in our minds. Do you see that? He's saying Nicodemus, the religious elite, coming at nighttime, interacting with Jesus. And so he's playing, he's playing, this is a, a, a typical kind of biblical thing, right? He's playing with these metaphors even inside the story that we're grasping it. Okay, so it says that Nicodemus, uh, he comes at, at, at nighttime. Secondly, the thing that we see um, is that Nicodemus gives Jesus some respect uh, in, in the verse. Look what he says. Um, look what he calls him. He says, uh, Rabbi. Jesus, Rabbi. Now, uh, according to Nicodemus' standards, Jesus uh, should not be a rabbi. Uh, he's not educated enough. He's not learned enough. doesn't have enough experience. Uh, but Nicodemus, upon approaching Jesus, goes, hey, Rabbi, Rabbi. He goes, now, now we, we know that you're from God because you're doing these incredible signs. He's, he's kind of laying it on in this moment. And, and, and notice what else the, the text says. So he says, uh, Rabbi, we know that you, you couldn't do these things. And, then, and look what he says. He uses language that, that's plural, right? He says, we know, we know, we know. So what, what that tells us is that Nicodemus is, is really kind of coming on behalf of the religious elite, the Sanhedrin. And, and, and honestly, probably what's happening um, is, is Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and thinking like, I think we could help you. And I, you know, I think you could probably help us. Like we've got, you know, we're the establishment. We've got some power. We've got some um, influence. We, we've got the resources. You know, you're a dynamic teacher, clearly. Like you're attracting a crowd. You, you, you've got like some, some charisma about you. Why, why don't we, why don't we like work something here? Like, why don't we work something out here? There, there's, Nicodemus is doing a little bit of, like, backdoor, like, politicking in this moment. Do you know what I mean? Uh, do you know, um, yeah, you know the song by Aaron Burr in Hamilton, I Want to Be in the Room, where it happens, right? That's what's going on in this moment. He's like, I want to be in the room where it happens, in the room where it happens, right? And, and so this is kind of like, this is that, that situation where Nicodemus is doing a little bit of that kind of, like, backdoor stuff where he, he's trying to, think through like man let's let's figure something out but let's work something out together and so he says we know man we know we know that you're you're a teacher clearly some you've got something going on um that, that i think we can we can be a part of like surely we can help you and and you can help us this is this would be incredible and and jesus just is not he's just not gonna respond like he's not playing ball right he just like, his, his response is so just unexpected. Like, he doesn't even, he doesn't play that with, with Nicodemus. Uh, he's not, not interested in engaging, really, um, kind of in whatever Nicodemus is getting at. He, he's basically going to force Nicodemus to go to another level. Go to another level of, of questioning and thinking and a, a kind of a deeper level of what's happening. Okay, look what look happens. John chapter 3, verse 3. He's basically like, Nicodemus, you're going to have to keep up, bro, because we're going. So John chapter 3, 3, he says, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, so I want you to kind of store that away in your memory. He says, cannot see. You will not be one who can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, what does born again mean? Um, so born again Christian used to be a term that was used a lot. Like if you kind of grew up in the church, uh, maybe you heard that where uh, the term was like, 
you know, it, you can be mixed up all kinds of things, but it's, it's basically like, I'm a, you know, like a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, right? That was like a, that was kind of a, an identifier that you would use. And, and most of the time, um, the people that would maybe you call themselves a, a born-again Christian, they, they typically fall in a couple different categories. Like, usually that would be the type of person that was, was born again, would be the type of person that maybe came from uh, some really, like, dire situations, so they were like an addict or they had some kind of major financial, like they were just kind of in the bottom, like they, they kind of saw it. They were like at the very kind of bottom and, and they have this, um, you know, radical encounter with Jesus and, and they're, they're transformed. So they move from the bottom to now life, life with Jesus. Or, or, or maybe it was someone who uh, needed like kind of um, moral structure and standards and, and so they were you know, they, w- they would be kind of a born-again Christian. That's what you call it. Like I'm, a, I'm a born-again Christian. You're like, oh, okay, okay you're great, right? That's, that's who you are. Well, the, the fascinating thing about that is um, Nicodemus doesn't meet any of those standards. Like, th- like th- think about the type of guy that he is, right? So um, he, doesn't, he doesn't necessarily, uh, what maybe we would think about as like an emotional crutch. He doesn't really need that. Um, he's got plenty of resources uh, he, he actually, from, from all standards, he's like the most disciplined, organized, self-controlled, morally upright individual to, to exist. And, and yet Jesus says to him, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You, 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 you won't grasp it. So, so what's Jesus talking about here? Well, um, so, so the Greek here, um, it can be translated two different ways. Uh, it can either be born again, that's one way of translating, or it can be translated born from above. So, so that Greek word that you use there is either, it can be used as again, you can translate it again in your translations, or you can translate it from above in your translations. The, the reason we know that, John three thirty one, 31, uh, this is a few verses down, uh, Jesus says, the one who comes from above is above all. Uh, same Greek word there that he uses in Nicodemus, you should be born again, or you should be born uh, from above. Uh, so, so really a better translation would be um, to be born again from above. To be born again from above. Let, let me summarize. This, this is basically, basically what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is he's saying you need a new start. You need a new start. You, like, and, and think about it. I mean, that's a pretty offensive thing to say to a guy like Nicodemus. I mean, think about it. this young, he's probably, Jesus probably 30 at this point. This young carpenter rabbi <laughs> looks at the well-established, well-resourced, influential ruler of the, the like, the Sanhedrin. We'll see it that he, he's high level. We'll see it in a second. And, and Jesus says to him, you need a new start. You need to start over. Everything that you thought you were doing from God or, or for God was a miscalculation. You need a new start. You're not um, any better than anyone else. You, you, you need new uh, birth. You want to be uh, made right, Nicodemus. You need help from an outside source. You, you don't have, Nicodemus, the inside resources to be in relationship with God, to flourish as a human being. 
He says you need a new start. You need to be born from above. You need to be uh, born again. You're no further ahead than anyone else. Um, you need God to take personal residency in your life. This is what you need, Nicodemus. Um, this, is, this is ultimately what, what it means to, to be born again. Jo- John Calvin says it this way. Um, he says, uh, by the word born again, what does he mean? By the word born again, he means not an amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. He's like, the, the furniture in your heart needs to be rearranged. It needs to be shifted around. It, it, it's, it's not what you um, thought. If you want to um, understand the kingdom of God, if you, if you want to be born again, see me with clarity, Nicodemus. Be born again. Now let's think about it. He's with as aligned with the law as you could be, as structured as a person as you, you could be. Like we couldn't have a more structured life than him. We, we couldn't have a better life than him in, in terms of morality and Jesus' call to new birth is not a call to morality. It's not a call to religion. Like, like if anything, it's a challenge to religion and morality. Because it's help from above. It's help from the outside. It, it's saying, I don't, I don't have the resources within myself to be able to do it. Now, this was a, this was a radical thing for someone like Nicodemus. Because he had, he had supposedly everything. Um, typically, think about it this way. So typically... Um, this is a generalization, but it tends to be true. So most people that came, come to, uh, not most people, it's a lot easier to come to Jesus if you're someone who is what we would consider downtrodden. So someone who doesn't have a lot of resources, someone who doesn't have a lot of influence, someone who doesn't have a lot of help. Now this is really important because we're, we, we live where we live in Boston. So I want you to hear this. And this would be true of a lot of like urban centers, right? Um, and, and so cr- the Christian faith tends to be like this idea of being born again or new birth from above. If you're, if you're what you consider downtrodden, you're like, sounds great, right? New start? Yes, right? I'll take that. Uh, I can, you know, I can experience new life with God? Absolutely. And, and so for, for people in, in, in that, that position, uh, it tends to be a bit easier than it is for people who are in what? in a, a higher status position, who have uh, resources and influence and position, right? It can tend to, to be a bit more difficult for people in that position to say, oh, start again? Yeah, sounds great. Let Lay down my um, life and, and pick up life with God through Jesus? Man, that, that's a little bit harder uh, for people. And, and so Jesus looks at Nicodemus, who by all accounts and standards is, is at the top of the tier, is at the top of the establishment, and he says, you need a start over. You need a new life. You need to, to be born again. You're, um, the, the, Jesus is basically saying God works in the margins. He, he doesn't work from the center. He works from the margins. He said, so you need a, you need a new start. You need to change up. Okay, look at this. John 3, verse 4. Look what happens here. Look at Nicodemus' response is what to Jesus. He says, how can anyone be born when he is old? 
Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Now, here's the thing. Most likely, uh, Nicodemus is being a bit cutty here. Uh, it's probably not genuine, right? He, he's most likely, he's not being like winceful here, right? He's being more cynical and he's like, Jesus. Now, remember, he's educated, educated guy, man. Uh, theologically, he got it all dialed in. And he's like, Jesus, you can't enter your mother's womb again. What are you talking to me? Crazy. You know what I mean? He's like, you, that's not, what are you talking about? Like, how, how would, like, that's not, that's not possible to be, to be, enter into the, the mother's womb again. Well, look what Jesus does, because Jesus is going to press deeper on him. He's going to try and take a different angle. He, he wants to, again, he wants Nicodemus to see it. Uh, verse 5 of John chapter 3. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so in the beginning he said what? He said if someone's not born again, they cannot what? See the kingdom of God. And now he's saying uh, someone cannot enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. All right, we'll move on. Verse 6. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound. Most likely, there's probably a storm going on, so um, it's probably like a dark and kind of stormy night, and so Jesus is saying to him, you, you hear the wind, Nicodemus? Um, he says, in the same way, you don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going, and he's like, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit, Nicodemus. This is the Spirit's work in, in doing this. Now, what, what's he saying here? What does it mean to be born of water? And of spirit. Now, is he um, is he like alluding to like water baptism there? Uh, maybe he may have been alluding to like John the Baptist's baptism. Uh, y- at this point, you wouldn't have been baptized in Jesus uh, at this point, right? Sometimes we can read forward <coughs> in that, but but Nicodemus would have not known that. So so he could have been referring to John's baptism uh, that that John was doing as a, a work of like a forward kind of work, preparing for Jesus, the baptism that comes with life with Jesus, uh, but he's most likely alluding to something that Nicodemus would understand, uh, which would be the, the Old Testament kind of prophecies about the coming Messiah, or the Old Testament prophecies about what God's going to do. So let me give you two of them, uh, because again, he, he wants Nicodemus's heart to be aligned into the kingdom of God. Jesus cares about him. So Isaiah 44, 3 and 4, look at this picture here. Nicodemus, again, would have been an expert in the Old Testament, expert in the law. This is what God says through Isaiah. It says, for I will do what? I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will sprout among the grass. So you get this picture of life. And like poplars by flowing streams. Okay, so here's what he says. This is God speaking through um, Isaiah. He says, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it is like water being poured out on dry ground. And he says, when the water is poured out on the dry ground, it brings life. Life sprouts from the dry ground. And and so your your life is like a, a, a dry, cracked kind of ground. And to be born of the water and the Spirit is to be born from above, to be born, have an outside source that comes upon you that, that, that then waters the dry ground and brings life. That's what it means to be baptized or 
to be born in water and spirit. Let me give you another one. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. He says this, uh, the prophet Ezekiel. I will also sprinkle clean water on you. And you will what? You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Beautiful imagery we have here. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statues and carefully observe my ordinances. Okay, so the first one he said, um, the spirit is like water that comes upon dry ground. It brings about life. The, the second time that he says, he says when the, when the spirit comes upon you, he does what? He makes you clean. He purifies you. Brings purity. Cleanness. Right? This is what the spirit does. And, and it says that, that he's going to take, what, what God's going to do is he will replace what they call a heart of stone uh, that would be like a dead heart with what? A heart of flesh. With life. And, and so Jesus here is uh, alluding to these Old Testament prophecies. He, he's trying to get Nicodemus' mind and heart around who Jesus is. And he says, you have to be born of water and of the Spirit. You need help from the outside, Nicodemus. You need something from above. See what he's doing here? See how he's pressing on him? Saying you don't have the resources, you don't have the ability, you, you can't bring about change, you can't manufacture change. He's saying, this, this, is, this is what's going on. Well, Nicodemus is going to press some more. Verse 9, John chapter 3, verse 9. His third question, his final question. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? How can these things be? Like, I see what you're saying. I'm, I'm beginning to kind of put the pieces in place. Like, how is this? Are you, are you telling me? <coughs> you tell me that it's happening. That we've been waiting on is happening. Is that what you're saying? Like, how, how can this be? One biblical commentator says it this way, uh, Gary Burge. He says his commitment, talking about Nicodemus, his commitment to the Torah and obedience to prayer and sacrifice, his understanding of election, responsibility, and privilege have all been challenged in this moment. He's saying, you know, have it, man. You need to be born again. They've all been challenged. He says he should have no problem understanding that the Spirit of God can transform. But he's standing, but, but he is a man standing on the frontier, looking at the new country, and wondering how such uh, monumentous events will unfold. He's like, how is this going to happen? I, I, I'm, I'm seeing it, but, it, but it's hard for me to get my mind around that new life comes from the Spirit. That new life is going to come from God. This is what it means. Look what jo Jesus says, verse 10. He says, um, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? It's like burn. <laughs> Truly, uh, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe then how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of God. Okay, so he's alluding there to a prophecy in Daniel, uh, where Daniel prophesies, and he says, I see one coming like the Son of God out of the clouds. 
like the son of or like the son of man out of the clouds. He, he's alluding to that kind of imagery there that we get in Daniel that they would recognize. So, son of man, okay, that's Daniel prophecy there. So he says, but the son of man, verse fourteen. Jesus says, uh, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. May have eternal life. Okay, let's stop there for a moment because we'll get. <coughs> We'll get into, like, you know, the most popular Bible WrestleMania verse ever. So um, let's talk for a second what he talks about before we get to that one. Uh, so what does it mean that the Son of Man, uh, he says the Son of Man, uh, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Uh, so this story comes from uh, Numbers 21. Here's basically what happened in Numbers 21. <clears throat> the people of God, this will be shocking, uh, the people of God are complaining against God. And they're complaining against Moses' leadership. And they basically say to Moses and God, uh, this is dumb. This is stupid, right? And it's probably not an exact translation, but pretty close to it. And th they basically begin to grumble and complain. And they're like, the food that you give us that isn't great. You know, it's like they just, they're very, you know, not to mention the fact that it's miraculous and it shows up or whatever. But they're just like, we're done with this. Like, you brought us to the wilderness to die. Like, we're, we're out. And, and God's like, okay, cool. Um, I'll send some poisonous snakes. And so uh, poisonous snakes come into, this is number 21, poisonous snakes, they, they come into the community, which has to be, honestly, the most terrifying thing in the world. And so when these snakes bite you, you die because they're not playing around. And so they, they bite you. And so what happens is the people start to recognize their circumstances and go, this is not, this is not good. This is actually worse. Um, we were complaining about dry bread. Now we got poisonous snakes. So they, they cry out to God again. They're like, oh, we've, we've made a mistake, apparently, and we, and we need your help. And so God, in his kindness, in Numbers 21, he tells Moses, um, uh, make a, I, I want you to lift uh, a, like a, a statue of a, a snake in the air. Anyone who looks upon this snake will be healed, right? It's a trippy story. It's weird, right? It's just, it just is weird. Um, and, and so you have this thing that at one point, um, you know, it's this weird thing of like this thing was killing them. And now if they, they look upon it, it, it brings them life. Um, what was happening there? You had a group of sick people who were dying as a result of what? Their sin and rebellion and evil. And God instructs Moses in Numbers 21, what does he say? He says, I see your sickness and your death that is the result of your sin and rebellion, but I'm going to save you. And the way that you'll be saved is you look up. You look up. You see what Jesus does there? He says, look up. And so Nicodemus is like, I don't understand. Like, how is this possible? How, how, I'm not getting this. And, and Jesus says the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Not, not talking about like a king on the shoulders of his people. We're not overthrowing the Roman government here. It's not what we're going after. That's not, not what I mean by the Son of Man being raised up. I mean the Son of Man being raised up on a cross. Literally being raised up. Crucifixion. And Jesus says, you, you want new life, Nicodemus? See the Son of Man raised up and crucified. See him. This is what he's alluding to. Look, look back at, at the story. Pick up in 16. <clears throat> well, 15. He says, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Again, leaning into belief. Verse 16. 
For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There it is, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him, there it is, belief, is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. You know, you read that. If you're like me, you read it and you're like, ah, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't really like that. Jesus says, wait, 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 hold on, let me say it. So to not say yes to Jesus is to experience condemnation. Is that what you're saying? Is that what Jesus is saying? I, I think so. I mean, it, it, it seems that he's saying you stand condemned, you stand outside of relationship with God outside of Jesus. And you're like, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm not convinced, right? Yeah, um, it, makes, it should make you uncomfortable. It should break your heart. It should move you to action. It should. Jesus goes on, verse 19, I gotta move. It says, this is judgment. <clears throat> this is judgment. The light, here it is, he's alluding to the light. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Verse 21, but, conjunction, but everyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by who? By God. So, so Jesus, um, in his final answer to Nicodemus, is he says, life comes by the Spirit, and it comes by seeing me in clarity. He's like, so you need to start over, Nicodemus. You, you need to rebuild your life, not around um, moral practices and morality and, and the law, not that all of those things are bad. He's saying you need to rebuild your life around me, around my way, around the values of the kingdom of God. You need to, to um, mimic me in the way that I live, Nicodemus. This is, this is how you get life. This is how you, um, what, it, what it means to uh, be walking in newness of life. It says everyone who believes, everyone who believes has eternal life. He, he's trying to move Nicodemus from unbelief to belief. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're here, and it's, like, maybe just for you, all you need to receive this morning, like, that, what, just what you need to receive this morning is that, that in order to experience life, you need to see Jesus for who he is. See him lifted up. Say yes to him. You need rebirth from above. You need a, a restart from above. What, what happens to our guy Nicodemus? Um, does, he, does, he, does he get past this kind of place? Well, John 19, 38 and 42, and then I'll be done. <clears throat> uh, this is post-crucifixion uh, of Jesus. These are dark days in the early church, man. Like three dark days in the early church. But I mean three dark days, right? John 19, 38 through 42. It says after this, after the crucifixion, it says Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. And Pilate gave him permission, 
So he came and took his body away. Now look at verse 39. And I love that John gives us the, the insight, the details there. He says, Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night. He says, Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, um, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. aloes. Verse 40, it says, they took Jesus' body, they wrapped him in linen cloths with fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. It says, there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and a new tomb was in the garden, and no one had been placed in it. Verse 42, it says, they, plural, they. It says, they, Nicodemus, Joseph, probably the women are there as well. They're like the most consistent people. It says, they placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was ready. And so apparently Nicodemus went from skeptic to believer. Uh, he went from like backdoor politicking, trying to figure out a deal, to being convinced that Jesus was the way and the truth and the life. And if he was going to experience life with God, it comes through looking up at the Son of Man. Now, did Nicodemus understand that in that moment? Did he understand it at the crucifixion? I don't know. But he's here. He's in the day. He's in the light. He's in the clear of everyone. Move from death to life. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you for new life that comes through um, life with God, that comes through faith in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, God. So would you um, make us into a people who trust you more deeply, uh, who seek to follow your way, God, thank you that you give us a new start. That you give us a better way. God, would you help us to be a people who lay down our old lives, our old ways, our old habits, our old rhythms. And that we would just entrust ourselves to you. God, we, um, we need your help in these things, God. With, without you, um, these things are not possible. So would you help us, God? We're just asking that of you. Father, we thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.